James chapter 5. Today I'd like to take you to verse number 15. Just about three words out of verse number 15. That's the progress we try to make. Is get about three words in every week, but uh, we're moving on. I'm having a war with allergies right now, in case you notice. Uh, sniffing and coughing and whatever else that might just happen. Um, I think I'm going to win, but uh, it's been a couple of rough days. I'm okay. You can hear me, Treva? Okay, we're all set then. James chapter 5, verse 15 says, The prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up, and if he has committed sins, they will be forgiven him. Therefore, confess your sins to one another, pray for one another, so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. Now, we have been on verse 16 a lot, coming back and forth, and I've done that on purpose so that we could understand all the things that are around it. And today, we're going to talk specifically about the prayer of faith. So, Heavenly Father, as we begin today, we come to you and ask for your guidance, your work in our lives. Your word is powerful. I'm so glad it's your word. For it always is effective. It's always accomplishing the things you set it out to do. And it changes lives, Lord, lives for all of eternity. And we praise you for that, for it's changed our lives too. And now as we focus upon it, even a little piece of it, We know, Lord, that it's your word and it's going to be uh, significant in our lives, should we understand it. So help us to keep our attention on it, we pray this morning, in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, a prayer that can accomplish much. We've talked about this. There's more to answered prayer than just the answer, right? Last couple of weeks we looked at this. First of all, we like the answers, don't we? We love the answers, and the Lord does answer. But there's other things He gives us as well as we pray. Things that benefit us greatly, that accomplish as much in us. And one of those things was called patience, right? And that we've seen all the way through this text. And so it keeps coming out. There must be a reason why we have to keep hearing it. Patience. That's a produce of prayer. A second thing is endurance. Another word that's similar, but it's more likely to speak of sticking to it. Most of the time we want the exit shown to us. The Lord says in many cases, no, I don't want you to exit. I want you to endure. Trust me. This is good for you. We don't like it that way when we hear it that way. But everything the Lord does is good for us. Isn't that true? So he calls us to endurance, and prayer will bring us to that point all the time. Focus. Focus we've talked about as well. It helps us look at things in eternal view. So many times we ask for things just for the temporary. The Lord has something bigger. He's working in our lives. Prayer helps us to focus on eternal value. And we've talked about that. That's all available to you on our website if you want to go back to those sermons. But today we're going to specifically talk about the prayer of faith. The prayer of faith. Verse number 15 mentions a prayer offered in faith. It's a prayer of faith, literally from the genitive uh, of the Greek language. It's speaking of a prayer of faith, or from faith. 
Now, I'm going to get just technical for five seconds, okay? Or maybe more than five seconds, but real short time. You can handle this, I'm sure. But uh, what stands out to me when I read this, even in the Greek text, the genitive, it speaks the stuff it's made of. It's what's inside of it. What, what it's made of. It's a prayer of faith. It's unfortunate that many times don't pray by faith. Our prayers are not stuffed with faith. We pray hoping, yes, or hoping like an American English kind of hope. Oh, I hope so. Right? But we're not absolutely sure. We just hope. Kind of like the way we use the word if. We're not exactly sure. But we'll use that word, just if it should happen. If the Lord should hear us. If it should come about. Sometimes we pray that way. There's a, a greater way this word is representing here. That faith is the stuff the pray, prayer is made of. That's going to be especially our emphasis here today as we go through it. But that's one of the things I want you to emphasize. This reference to the prayer of faith refers to what it's made of. It's also got its object in here. Faith is in the Lord. And prayer should be too, right? Who are we talking to? When we pray, are we not talking to the Lord? Are we not talking to the one who, whose character and whose ability is going to answer this request? We're talking to Him because that's what living prayer, prayer, prayer is all about. It's a living faith that we have in Him. Not a faith in nothing, but a faith in Him. And prayer is an act of that faith. Remember, I've told you this before, but prayer is knowing that we're needy. And knowing that we must go to somebody else to meet that need. And knowing that God is able to meet that need. Really, you need to know God well to know that. That's why we need to learn of Him. That's why we need to know Him more. Learn of His character. Learn of His ability. So that we know that's why we've come to Him. Because of who He is. And what He can do. Prayer is, is knowing that God is able to meet, meet our need and asking Him... To meet that need. We have to ask. We ask Him to meet that need. And when we ask Him to meet that need, the last and perhaps the hardest part of the whole thing is trusting Him with the answer. Whatever that answer might be, it's under His ability, it's under His character, and I don't want any other answer than that. Do you? If, it's, if His answer to my prayer request is no, whatever it might be, do I trust his character to believe that's the best for me? That's called faith. The prayer of faith is significant because not only is it the stuff prayer is made of, but it's also the source where prayer comes from. Faith is important. And I'm going to emphasize this right now. Walk through this for a few minutes because not only is prayer an act of faith, but prayer is a product of faith. It is a language of the one who lives by faith. Prayer is the language of the one who lives by faith. We pray because we have faith. If we didn't believe Him, would we ask Him for anything? No. But because we are a believer, we do naturally express our needs to Him. Because we know Him. We trust Him. 
I'll tell you why that is true. I'm just going to illustrate in a simple way this morning. All week long, we've had our BBS program, as you well know. The kids point that out very well to us, too. Uh, it was kind of interesting, and there was one time when you could really get away with this, theologically even, too. We were able to call these little kids sinners all week long. Now, that's all part of the lesson. I could call everybody in here a sinner, too, if I wanted to. But that's what Scripture says, right? And so we were able to point out the essence of the Christian faith and what it's all about. And the point of sin just comes forward. The Thursday morning we started in on our lesson, and the lesson started this way. You can't do it. You can't do it. We talked about simple illustrations in life that kids that age can't do. But when we got to the theological and teaching side of the point, we started with some bad news. The bad news that we're told in Scripture, number one, is that we are sinners. That's significant to understand. Because if we don't understand where it starts, we certainly can't appreciate where it goes. We are sinners. The Scripture says so in Romans 3.23, doesn't it? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's every one of us. We could thank Adam and Eve for that one, can't we? But it's true. We are all sinners. We, we played a little game with the kids, and I didn't have bow and arrow with me, because that's a good illustration of, of sin. The idea of missing the mark is the concept behind that word. And we didn't have bow and arrow. Of course, I wouldn't trust them with it. So, what we did was instead... I had a roll of crepe paper. It was all wrapped up in plastic, so it was still in its, its roll. It was lightweight, and it was soft, and it wasn't going to hurt anybody. And uh, I had them stand on one side of the room, and on the other side of the room was our memory verse on a poster. And I said, this simple technique is just going to show you what it was like, because you're going to stand over there, and you get one throw with my so-called arrow, and you aim for the target. And if you miss, everybody in the room is going to yell sin. Because that's the idea of missing the mark. And they're the judges. And it was amazing how many times we had to yell that word. Because very few would hit that. Matter of fact, it was interesting. The youngest ones hit it more often than the oldest ones did. But they would fling that all the way across the room. And they, one of them tried to hit me. We won't talk about that. But um, we... we uh, they throw it across the room. They miss the mark. We yell, sin! And some of them didn't like that, to tell the truth. It kind of affects your, your heart somehow to hear that from somebody else say that about you. But that's what they would do. And then, after a few of them hit it, and they felt pretty good about themselves, I said, now let's be more theologically accurate. Because when you try to live up to doing what's right, you already have a huge disadvantage because you have a sin nature. And because you have a sin nature, you don't see, right, because you're living in darkness. And so what I did was, I turned them around backwards. So they couldn't see the target. And they had to throw it over their back and hit it. How many do you think made it that time? Nobody. Because I know it's going to work every time. We can prove they're sinners by missing the mark, because you eventually are going to miss it. And that's the fact. When it comes down to sin, it only takes one sin to make a sinner. Do you know that? Just one. 
And we prove that very early in life, I'm afraid to say. We start off that way, but by nature we're sinners, and then by choice, by action, we prove it. That's an easy point to make. I could make that point from Scripture all over the place, but that's reality. Bad news number one. Bad news number two followed that, and that is from Romans 6.23. The wages of sin is death. That is a heavy price to pay, isn't it? God told them, the day they eat of that fruit, they will surely die. And if Ezekiel will add it too, the soul that sinneth, it must die. And it's all the way through Scripture, and it shows it. We've got obituaries everywhere, don't we? The soul that sins will die. The soul that sins will die. Now that death is more than just a physical thing. It's eternal separation from God. That is frightful, folks. Eternal. We don't even grasp that concept in our heads. Because it's a bigger term. Because we work by calendars. We work by schedules. We work by clocks. We have parameters on things. Eternal doesn't have an end. That's incredible to think of. There is no end to being separated from God for the sinner. That's a frightful prospect. That's where we all were. Those are bad news. That's where we have. So I said, you know what, folks, that's what we earned. We earned that. It's a wage. And when it comes to pleasing God, we can't do it. We can't do it. We are already sinful in his eyes. But we can't do it. One sin makes us a sinner. We're already started that way. But Scripture says we were helpless. Scripture says we were hopeless. Scripture says that we were actually enemies of God. How do you please somebody when you're his enemy? It was a miserable place to be. And I'm glad that the news didn't stop there, aren't you? Because while we got two things that are terrible, the amazing good news starts with this. That even while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's wonderful news. Romans 5, 8 would tell you. That's God's demonstration of love. He loved us while we were yet sinners. His enemies. Hopeless. Helpless. He saw us for who we really are. And He loved us. Loved us so much, He sent His Son. Sent His Son to take our place. To take our place? Think of that. When I got to that point in our lesson, we've been using our our little friend Levi, the the dragon, my puppet friend, uh, to illustrate points. And, And Levi was right there at the scene when I brought up this point. And I said, now, let's imagine for a minute that Levi is sick. And all of a sudden, Levi starts coughing. <laughs> and everyone gets, his, you know, he gets their attention. And uh, I said, oh, it's bad news. Le- Levi's sickness is not going to get better. Levi's going to die from this sickness. And you could see the look on their face. Because they love Levi. They're like, oh, what's wrong with Levi? He said, well, Levi's sick. He's, he's not going to make it. Is anybody in this room willing to take his place? You know what? The ones who were the, the most honest were the little ones. Because they all said no. The older one said, okay. I said, are you kidding me? Would you really trade the places with somebody who dies? You know what? I asked this question and it followed up. The answer was perfectly clear every single time because the kids could answer it. I said, 
If you take Levi's place, you will die. But if you take his place, what happens to Levi? He lives. That's the exact picture of what Jesus has done for us. He took your place. You earned the sin. He took your sin so that you might have life in his name. That's what he has offered to you. That's what he has done for you. He paid your penalty. My penalty. That's incredible, folks. That he would be willing to do that. For all that we have done, he's taken our place. That's good news. That's great news. He takes our death. We get his life. It follows with one more point of amazing good news. Not only do we get life, but we get it eternally. Everlasting life is a promise he gives, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever, this room's full of whosoever's, believeth in him, shall not die or perish, but shall have everlasting life. That is a promise. That is a promise that he gives. That's what he offers to us through faith in Jesus Christ. Now, I'm bringing up the word faith on purpose because this is the verse we use in Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For by grace are you saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. You can't do it. It's not of your works. It's only by him. It's a gift from God so that you can't boast so that I can't boast. It's only by faith in him. Only. We make that point, we emphasize it, we strengthen it as hard, as strong as we can, because the fact is this, salvation is brought about by faith in what you have heard. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. You have to believe it. You have to trust it. That's faith. That's what God said. You know, we can have salvation in no other name but Jesus. Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father but by Him. In every single facet of Christian faith, it is through Jesus and only through Jesus. That's it. He is the only mediator between God and man. He is the only intercessor that prays for you constantly. He is the Lord Jesus Christ and you must have faith in Him. Not faith in this, or faith in that, or faith in this, but faith in Him. It's in Jesus Christ alone. That's important. That's what Scripture says. Because He is the only one who died for you. The only one who gives you life. We made that point throughout this week. Emphasized it over and over. Because you can't do it. Faith is what it comes down to. Faith in Jesus Christ. It is the stuff salvation is made of, is faith. We cut it open, we investigate it, we we see what it was, where it came from, and what do we find in there? Not works. It's not what we do. We don't find our will in there. It's because we just chose it. We pulled up our bootstraps, you know, all those things. We didn't do it. It's not of your bloodline. It's not because your mom or dad, your grandma or your grandpa were experienced and spiritual things and so you are now because of them you're saved no it's not of your initiative it's not of your great looks 
Sorry to disappoint you. It's not of your intelligence. No, it's not that. It's not of you. It's through faith in Jesus Christ. It's a stuffing, it's a source of faith. You would all agree with that, I'm sure. I could point that out and you're all saying, yep, that's exactly right. That's what our salvation starts at. It's by faith. It's by faith. It's by faith. So, if you know that to be absolutely true in your hearts, and I assume you do, why would God start something in us by faith and call us to live differently than faith after that? What is prayer? It is to be a prayer of faith. Why? Because it matches every single thing that God is doing in your and my life. It's an issue of faith. It's through the same person who alone can accomplish the thing that we're asking for. It's not of us. It's not how intelligently we pray. It's not how fervently we pray. It's not how many times we pray. It's not how long we pray. It's a prayer of faith in Him alone who is able to do it. That's what we're called to in this passage. It's a prayer of faith. It must dominate us. I think that's a good word. I love that word, dominate. Because faith ought to dominate our Christian walk. It should dominate our Christian life. It should be a part and piece of every single thing we're doing. This is what Jesus said. Go over with me for a minute. John chapter 15. John chapter 15, the first five verses. Jesus made this illustration very clear when he said this. I am the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me. Those three words, those should be important to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As a branch cannot, cannot, you see that word? Cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. So neither can you bear fruit unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. And then the key. For apart from me, you can do nothing. That's not talking just about salvation. That's talking about everything, folks, in the Christian life. Apart from Jesus, you can do nothing. That's a big word. Nothing. Nothing. You see the value of faith right there? You have to trust Him. Apart from Him, you can do nothing. The counterside to that is, through Jesus Christ, I can do all things. Right? That goes with it. But we have to understand the center of all that is Jesus Christ. Let's take you to another place. I want to convince you of this. Hebrews chapter number 11. You know this chapter. We call it the faith chapter. Hebrews chapter number 11. Just going to start in and read about six verses here. 
Brace yourself for verse 6. Now faith, Hebrews 11.1 1 starts, is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, that is faith, the men of old gained approval. By faith, we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God, so that that which is seen was made not of things which are visible. Now that's a great little verse, because how many of you were here when the world was created? No one would confess to that, because no one likes to tell their age, right? Well, you'd have to be at least 6,000 years old to confess that, if you were here when creation came about. If creation started at 4004 B.C., as Usher said. Very likely, if you go with the timetable of Scripture. But that's another story. But you weren't here. I wasn't here. We have to believe the person who was. That's God. He told us what he did, right? Do we believe it? That's important. That's an issue of faith. You've got to trust him. Is there evidence for it? Oh, yes. Lots of evidence. But it's still an issue of faith. It says in verse number 4, By faith Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained the testimony that he was righteous, God testifying about his gifts, and, and through faith, though he is dead, he still speaks. By faith Enoch was taken up, that he would not see death, and he was not found because God took him up. For he obtained the witness that before he was taken up that he was pleasing to God. Now, I could go through the whole chapter and you'll see one dominant thing all the way through. Faith in God. Faith in God. Faith in God. These people did things and they were incredible things, but it was all by faith in God. If they didn't do that, they wouldn't be in this list. Faith in God. And it comes down to verse number 6. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. Impossible. You can't do it. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is. That means you've got to know him. And that he's a rewarder. You've got to know what he does, too. Of those who diligently trust him. Those who diligently seek him. Faith is important. You examine it in Scripture all over the place, and you keep getting brought to this simple thing. We must live it out. That is what we're called to in this life. A life of faith. Trusting our God. Why should prayer be any different? It's a piece of our Christian experience. It's a communication of the man of faith. It's prayer. He keeps in touch with his Father in heaven, and he knows that he's dependent on him. And that is the fact. We are dependent people. Let's confess that, right? We are dependent. I had trouble, I guess, with my very first church. We were called the Mountain Brook Independent Church. And I said, no, we're not. I had to fight against our name all the time. We live like we're independent. We think like we're independent. We plan like we're independent. But you can't do that and pray. Prayer must be of faith. And it's confessing every single time you pray that you're dependent on somebody else. Prayer is a confession of dependence. We have to depend completely on Him. In every single category of life, nothing you have in this life has its source in you. It's not the beginning of your salvation is of you. 
Not the continuance of your salvation is of you. Not the conversation of your salvation is of you. It's a matter of faith. Faith, faith, faith. And prayer is a prayer of faith. Because without it, folks, you cannot please God. Have I made a point? It's a simple thing. But I wanted to lay this down before you as carefully and as straightforwardly as I possibly can. When we talk about prayer, we're not talking about some game here. It's not some sort of gimmick to get God's attention. It's not some sort of good luck charm or rabbit's foot. It's not something that's, you know, superstitious in nature. It's not something like, even though I've told my kids this a hundred times, if you eat without praying, you'll die. Your food will poison you. And if you open your eyes while we pray, you'll go blind. My kids would laugh at that because they knew I was only kidding. But sometimes we set up all these rules for prayer. We say this is what prayer is. We have those now I lay me down to sleep kind of things we do with prayer. Sometimes we sit there and we say, well, I'll just pray the Lord's Prayer. And we go through all these different avenues of what prayer looks like and stuff like that. Let's never separate it from faith. It's a prayer of faith. That's what accomplishes much. Because that is when you trust your Father. That's how important it is for us here. James 5, verse 15. The prayer of faith. The prayer of faith. Now consider this. I'm going to bring out four verses for you. You ready? I've got to close in a few minutes, but I've got time for four verses. Consider this. When the book of Galatians is written, the Apostle Paul was writing to a group of believers who were considering a return back to the law. They were being dominated by false teachings. They started saying, oh, maybe there was something good over here. Maybe we should go back over to the way it used to be. Maybe we, maybe that law is something we've been neglecting. Maybe we, and Paul's writing to them. He says, who has bewitched you? What is going on here? And he talked to them about their, their return back to rules and regulations to try to please God instead of faith. This is what he wrote in Galatians 3, verse 11. Now, that no one is justified by the law before God, that is evident. For the righteous man shall live by faith. Mark that in your head. Galatians 3.11. You could set up a course of rules and regulations and systems and superstitions and programs to please God, but you will never please Him without walking by faith. In the book of Hebrews, the writers addressing another group of believers. They often fall short of faith because they grow weary. They get tired. The road is long, yes, and it's hard. And in their day, persecution was tough. We don't know it like they knew it. They went through terrible things in persecution. Their lives were laced with it, and they lost many things that they held very dear. And I think sometimes we struggle. They struggled. They struggled hard under difficult days to try to live out their faith. And the writer of the Hebrews said in Hebrews 10, verse 38, But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. I said, ow. That's a hard verse. But the righteous one shall live by faith. Don't quit because the road gets tough. Don't quit. Faith has its reward. 
God's always a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. Consider the book of Romans. Paul wrote to them and turned their entire world and thinking upside down. I know that because that's what that book did to me. Man tries hard to do it himself. The world would applaud you for giving that kind of effort. Don't take the world's uh, applause as flattering, though, because in the same book they applaud those who promote sin. God calls us to something else. Romans chapter 1, verse 17. Paul didn't waste any time to say it. For in, the, in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as, as it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. You've already noticed three times I brought up the same phrase, right? Three times God has repeated it. Why is it necessary to keep repeating that? Because we have a hard time learning it. The righteous man shall live by faith. The righteous man shall live by faith. You know, there is a fourth reference to it. It's in the Old Testament. In a book called Habakkuk, which nobody tends to read. Little book that's worth your time. They said it's a book of faith in the Old Testament. Habakkuk, the prophet, saw a terrible thing. A terrible thing. And it wasn't just his people, but it was also the people that were coming to punish his people. And he's examining both of them and saying, Lord, what's going on here? There's just unrighteousness on every side. I turn and there's that, and there's that, and there's that. And the Lord says, you know what the problem is? It's called pride. Pride is dominating my people. Pride is dominating my their enemies. And pride is the problem here. Their souls are lifted up. And I hate pride. God would say, in any measure, in any action, in any expression, he will stand against pride every single time. So Habakkuk writes these words that Paul, or the Lord gave to him. In chapter 2, verse 4, Behold, the soul which is lifted up is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. I'll read it to you, the New American Standard. That was the King James. Behold, as for the pride one, his soul is not right within him, but the righteous shall live by faith. Let me just underscore this truth. Pride will keep us from depending upon God. Every time. Pride is the stuffing of the one who does it his own way. It's the one who does it by his own strength. Pride will not save you. Pride will not provide for you. Pride is not the Christian walk. Pride is the exact opposite to prayer. Because when we are prideful, we trust ourselves. When we pray, we trust Him. That's why we read the prayer of faith. And not the prayer of pride. When Paul wrote to the Galatians, he says in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, it's not I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loves me and gave himself up for me. This has been our topic for prayer for several weeks now. We've been on this topic of living faith for half a year now. Do you know that? Half a year I've been up here sharing with you the issues of faith. 
Why does a pastor beat us with this? You may be asking. Let me tell you what it is. From Colossians chapter 2, 6 and 7. This would justify what I'm doing. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. If you've received Him by faith, live by faith. If you received Him by faith, pray by faith. Having been firmly rooted, and now being built up in Him, and established in your faith, just as you were instructed, and overflowing with gratitude. Paul says, that's what it was all about. I'm here to build you up. To give you deep roots in it. To establish you so you will not falter. So you can walk by faith. And be very glad you do. That's what I want to see us all doing. Walking by faith. Praying by faith. The prayer of faith. I didn't even touch on the rest of the verse yet. But now you can know what accomplishes much. The prayer of faith. And let's not forget that one, okay? When we go into all the other details, we're going to get spinning this way and spinning that way. But we've got the anchor. So let's keep it where it belongs. Next week we'll add to this a little bit more. But I think we've got a lot to think about, don't we? The prayer of faith. What kind of prayers are yours? What kind of prayers are mine? Heavenly Father, we're learning a lot about prayer in the midst of this study. And we thank you so much for it. For truly it is, it is, apart from you, we can do nothing. Ingrain that in our thinking. May we fully appreciate and understand what this thing is that is called faith. And how it affects us in every single way. And how we should respond to you with prayers of faith to show our dependence. Help us with it, Lord. We need that. We've got a tough world to live in, too. We've got a Monday through Friday that sometimes is pretty tough to get through. Sometimes there's issues in the family. Sometimes it's economics. Sometimes it's just physical or or medical things. Big things and little things that challenge us on every side. And it's easy to get discouraged in our world. It's easy to lose sight of you and what you're doing in our lives. It's easy to waver in our faith. So Lord, establish us, I pray. Make us firm in it. May we be uh, so, so wrapped up in that kind of life that it's contagious. That it spreads throughout our whole congregation in our town, even in our country. We need it, Lord, desperately. May we be the ones you start with. Thank you for your faithfulness to us. Even when we're faithless, you are such a great God. We praise you for who you are, for loving us like you do. In Jesus' name, amen.